Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you in your homes, reverse engineering, peering through this camera lens. I'm so glad that we could gather this morning for worship, 9 a.m., Sunday morning, and because we are here with the Word of God, and Christ is the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit makes the Word of God real upon our hearts, the Lord is with us. So before we begin, will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, you are in in heaven, so you are powerful and glorious, worthy of all praise and honor. We do the work of Psalm 114, we tremble in your presence. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but you are also our Father. You have gathered us as your children, we are your flock, your people, the sheep of your pasture. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you lift up our heads in this time of trial? Lift up our heads so that we're not prone to look inward for strength, so that we're not tempted to hear or listen to any other word but yours in this time. Lift up our heads that we might see Christ, your Son, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the very Word of God, Creator, Sustainer, Savior. Be with us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess the first thing I want to say is I miss you guys. I really miss you guys. I was thinking about sermon stories that I could tell, and I mean, there's no shortage of ideas since uh, this dynamic situation we're changing, we're in, is changing every five seconds. But I felt like the story I really wanted to tell was just the story of, of longing to be with you all again soon by God's grace in the flesh. I really miss you guys, even the hooligans, and you know who you are, even the troublemakers, and you know who you are, especially our children and, and their joy and the light that they bring to this place. It's just a strange thing to be in this beautiful building without you. And yet I remember that it's the body, the people who are the church. The church doesn't have an an address. It's you and it's me, temples of the living God. And so thank you for gathering with us to hear God's word this morning. It really is a grievous thing that we can't be together. It really is a, a sad thing. How can we be the body of Christ and not be able to hold one another, shake hands, and give hugs? It's a bit of a scary time we're in, isn't it? I think some of you are feeling that more than others, but we can all relate to just the general societal malaise, the psychology of a a pandemic. It's a scary time. Not just for the big stuff, like the volatile swings of the the market, but also the things that that right now in our city, in Santa Fe, in the city we love, are hitting very close to home. Some of you that I've spoken with have already had some challenges in your jobs. We know others who have been laid off. I know some are really struggling to get care for their children or perhaps their parents in this time. We're all feeling the need, the need for hope, the need for a a good word. I feel it, and I know you do too. These times have 
revealed our fragility, our need for a guide, a guide, again, that that transcends our situation and our circumstances, one that doesn't come from the fickle place of our own feelings within, but a good word, a guide that is above all that can speak the truth, a truth that can set us free, a word of hope, a word of help, a word from our God. So this morning we're in John's gospel. I believe John's gospel, gospel means good news, meets us with a word from God, Jesus himself, for times such as these. John Standridge and I had thought and prayed about this and decided we're going to take a little break from our series on the rhythms of grace, thinking about the different elements of our service and the liturgy, and we're going to focus on the gospel of John over the next eight weeks through Easter. We're going to look at the seven I am statements in John's gospel, where the deity of Christ, Jesus is God, is declared in and through those statements. And to begin, before we get to the seven, we thought we would begin where John himself begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As if Jesus is telling us through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, I am the Word you need at all times, and especially in these times. So the goal in these next eight weeks, whatever happens, we don't know. Hope we're meeting together as soon as possible. But during these times of virtual Sunday morning and the drive through we want to focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is our hope right now and forever. I'm reminded of The Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 like to read these words to us. He's writing to the church in Corinth during a volatile time. And he says the following, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, We do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal I love that scripture because it reminds me and I hope it reminds you this morning that In this trial, there is a greater weight of glory upon us. The words that Jesus himself gives to us today. Jesus is all. Jesus is the weight of glory that we need to feel upon our souls this morning. And so as we jump into this text, here's how we're going to handle it this morning. That that Jesus is all. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus is all. All we need, he is all the word we always need in all times. And he is the word that the people of our city and state and country and world need right now. So what does God say to us in the midst of the needs that we share, which I've already articulated? He tells us that Jesus is all. So the Apostle John lays a foundation for his entire gospel, all 21 chapters, 
the good news of Jesus as he's going to tell it by beginning with a single focus. It relates to the call to worship you've already heard, Hebrews chapter 1. God has spoken to his people in many ways throughout history, through the prophets and through the law, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. John's point is really pretty simple. He wants his hearers, he wants us this morning to know and to believe and to receive the grace of knowing and believing that Jesus is the divine word of God. And in the midst of all the stories that are swirling around us, Jesus reveals a new story, a new kingdom, a new creation, a new hope to a needy people. Now we know this is true because John states his purpose at the very end of his gospel. When he's finished telling his story in John chapter 20, he writes a summary statement. He says to his hearers, I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And by believing, you might have eternal life. Now, it's interesting because scholars debate the nature of this belief. Is it those who already believe, who are continuing to believe? Or is it those who might be believing for the first time as they have read all these stories about Jesus and beheld that truly he is the Son of God? Of God. Well, I tend to fall into the camp that says it's a both and. John's purpose is that those of you this morning who are, who are Christians would have your belief strengthened. And if you're watching this video online, maybe you stumbled across it, Lord have mercy on you. However you came across this video, maybe you've doubted God, maybe you've walked away from God, maybe you're out of the church, maybe you're over it, maybe you've given up your faith or deconstructed it or figured there's nothing that you can really hope in in the gospel. Life is just time and chance, matter in motion, banging around the universe, wherever you find yourself this morning. John is writing to you that you might be saved from your circumstances and the tyranny of the situation that we're in. And if you're a Christian, that you might be sustained and upheld in your belief. No matter where you're at, there is good news for us in John's gospel in this trial. And that brings us to the context that John's writing into. It's, it's always important to get into the context. John didn't just write this as some you know, ivory tower theologian with the intent of presenting an academic treatise to the churches you know, in the first century. No, John is writing to his community of people, mostly located in Asia Minor, perhaps concentrated in Ephesus, a Johannine community, if you will. And what's interesting about these Christians in the first century, in the late first century, is that they are scattered, they are needy, and they are in the midst of a great persecution. Now, it's not a viral pandemic, but it's the deep sense of urgency and need and disillusionment and hopelessness nonetheless. The community that John is writing to is in the Roman Empire. They are under the rule and reign of the emperor Domitian. He has declared himself to be God, and as a God, there shall be no other, and therefore he has also declared a war on Christians. Domitian comes after the emperor Nero. His represents uh, a second great persecution for the church in the second half of the first century. Now, let's put some, some meat on the bones here, guys. John is writing to these people. He's an old man. The church is struggling. 
The Apostle Paul has been executed. The Apostle Peter has been executed. Both most likely around the late 60s AD. John is most likely writing in late 70s, early 80s. The heroes have lost their lives. The church is wavering. The people are struggling. You can imagine that they are just like us on any given day in a dynamic situation, kind of feeling everything there and back again. This sounds familiar. And so it's into this world that John tells a different story. John tells the story of a new beginning. And so if you've ever read your Bible before, maybe you've read the book of Genesis. You started in chapter 1. John's prologue should sound familiar to you. In the beginning was the word. It's a clear parallel to Genesis 1. John is reminding those persecuted and troubled Christians in the empire that God is not done speaking. God is not silent in their pain and in their need. There is power and hope in a new word for a new beginning. Now, don't get me wrong. John takes the reality of sin and the brokenness of the world, the woundedness of our own souls, the fall of man into sin. He takes it all very seriously. There is a brokenness that ravages the earth. Every time we try to build and create, things can be so easily torn down and turned to dust. The weeds of life never stop coming. And yet Jesus is the word of God that promises us the renewal of all things, a new creation. This is the new story that John wants to tell us. And he says the story begins with God and the word of God. This is how the story begins. This Greek word, word, as many of you know, is the word logos. And in the past, uh, many scholars took a little bit more of a Greco-Roman approach to the word logos. Does it mean, you know, the rational principle of the universe or the logical principle that holds all things together? I think it's better to understand John, not only in his geographic, but in his religious context as a faithful Jew. And so when we look at the usage of the word word and God's word all throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that the word is much more than some rational principle. The word itself is the active agent of the living God by which he creates and sustains and saves his people. The word is the very agent by which God keeps his promises of salvation to his children. In this sense, the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who is the Christ, is the universal fulfillment of all of God's Old Testament promises. And the scriptures make this clear. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the the true and greater Moses. He is the one who not only interprets perfectly the law of God, but keeps the law of God. Jesus is the one who leads his people out of slavery. Jesus is the prophet and the priest and the king. Jesus is all in all. John shows us that Jesus is the eternal existing word who can alone fully and perfectly reveal the Father. And here's why this matters. Because what does God look like in trouble? What does God look like in suffering? What does God look like when we're in quarantine and social distancing 
And things feel very strange and very weird right now. What a surreal time. And your own mind is oscillating between, you know, this is crazy and I can't believe we're, we're doing all these things on the one hand and on the other hand, fear. What does God look like in that? What does God say? Well, he's spoken to us through Jesus, his son. So we look to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for an answer to that question. Jesus perfectly reveals the mind and the will and the truth of the Father because he is the word, the logos of God. John says that he was with God and he was God. John shows us that Jesus is distinct from the Father and from the Spirit, and yet he is also divine. He's the second person of the Trinity. He made all things, so he is the creator, and yet he's also the light who gives life, so he is the Savior. I love this scripture in Colossians chapter 1. Forgive me for grabbing my Bible here, but I wanted to bring my real Bible up on stage. This is a real-life Bible, everybody. Let me find Colossians chapter 1 here. Galatians, Ephesians, it's go eat popcorn, right? Yes, Philippians, Colossians. There we go. This is Colossians 1, 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Both heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or whatever is going on in our world right now. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this is the word of hope. That we not only have a savior, but one who is sovereign. Not only one who is sovereign, the universal king of the, the universal king of the universe, of the world, of all things, but one who desires to save his people. Not only one who would, but one who can. And that's why John reminds us in verse 5 that although the darkness pervades the world and the kingdom of God is breaking in and the new creation is coming, pushing the darkness back, the light of life is here. And yet the darkness encroaches again. We have this promise that the darkness has not overcome it, cannot and will not. And in this, verse 4, we have the promise of life. Because the word was God and with God, this same word can give life to us in place of death. Hope in place of our fear. Joy in place of our trials. Yes, there is persecution. It's unavoidable. I think like me, many of you wish we could just fast forward a couple months and get through this. With minimal collateral damage, we, we, we pray that, that as few people as possible would be hurt by this or lose their lives. We think of the people of our city. We consider and pray for first responders, those who among us who are vulnerable and in need. This is hard. But the fact that Jesus is not only the creator but the savior reminds us that God cares. That the God who comes to the world and takes on flesh cares 
and has promised to complete his work among us. So this resolves the tension. This is the beginning of the end for the Apostle John. It resolves the tension that the people that he's writing to are feeling as they are no doubt reading this letter aloud, many of them in underground churches in the midst of great persecution. God is not silent. He's not given up on his people. His great and final word for them is his full and complete revelation of himself in Jesus, his son. Jesus who kept the law, Jesus who atoned for our sin, and Jesus who conquered death. So now the invitation comes to us. How shall we apply this word? It's almost as if John is saying to us, let the light of Jesus expose you and do not reject the light. I don't know about you, but during this time, I feel like a lot of, I don't know, my own sinfulness, my idols have been revealed. I want things now. I want them cheap. I want them quick. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I'm impatient. I'm more prone to fear than I thought I was. I'm more prone to coping with things outside of the hope and the love of Jesus than I thought I was. When some of those thin outer layers are whittled away, the light reveals the darkness that we need help with. It's interesting in verse 11 that John says that Jesus came to his own, but they rejected him. What a crazy thought. Jesus came to his own people and said, look, I, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the answer to all the questions and all the oppression and the slavery of the Romans and the needs of your own souls. And they rejected him. That may sound crazy, but that's all of us. That's all of us. The gospel is a word that not only comes to comfort us when we are afflicted, but really to afflict us in our comfort, to scandalize the fact that, that we too, apart from God's help and his grace, are prone to reject his son. That's why I love the story of Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John foreshadows it here by saying that we must be reborn. Remember the story of the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus and says, teacher, teacher, help me understand what you're doing here. I think you're pretty good, but you know, what's your shtick? What, what new word do you have to give God's people Israel? And Nicodemus at the time was thinking, what Israel really needs is the best teacher. They need the best interpreter of the law. They need the most accurate information about the great I am, Yahweh himself, promise maker and promise keeper. And it's as if Jesus says to Nicodemus in chapter 3, he says, Nicodemus, no, God's people don't need more information. They don't need a better teacher. They need God himself to come and save, to step down from his throne, to put on flesh, to be born lowly and in a humble estate to live for them, to die for them, to sacrifice for them. They don't need a better teacher with more information. They need a savior with a word that can never be shaken. And that's why John tells us in verse 12 of the prologue, although there are some who reject Jesus, we don't need to be left in that estate. I, I want to encourage us, whether you're watching and you're a Christian or not, we'll Will you with me allow the word of God, Jesus himself, to examine our hearts? Turn from the darkness to the light. Turn from our self-saving ways 
from our own works, from whatever we rely on to save us that can be so easily stripped away and to turn in hope to Christ who is light, who for us has promised life. Don't miss this wonderful verse where Jesus says, through the apostle John, whoever believes and receives, it's a gift, not a work, but a gift. Whoever believes and receives is given the right to be called a child of God. And I think in our moment right now where people are nervous and stressed and fearful and disillusioned and confused and surreal, could there be a greater word than this? That we are not left as orphans. We're not left to just figure this out. We are not alone. Even if you feel alone in self-isolation, we are not alone because Jesus has said, that by his finished work, we have the right to be called the very children of God. And that's really the good news here. Not just that God has given us his son, his true and perfect word, and the opportunity to choose light and not darkness, but that above and below and about all of that is the truth of verse 14. That it is Jesus who even now is moving toward us. The text says that he came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. So John 1, 1 and 2 is an allusion to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. Now we have in verse 14 an allusion to the Exodus. It is Jesus, as it were, whose body was torn like the Red Sea so that we, the people of God, might walk through. And now how will the presence of God be with us, even as we cannot physically be with another? The presence of God is with us because Jesus is the very tabernacle of God. He is the place of the presence of the holy God for you and for me this morning and forever. Don't you just love this? Jesus didn't hoard He didn't go out and buy all the toilet paper and gold bars. In fact, he gave all those things up. He didn't hoard, but instead he decided to move toward you and me and everybody with a free offer. Come, believe, hear this word, and I will be all that you need. I will give you help. I will give you rest. I miss you guys. I do. I miss you and I'm I'm thankful in in the midst of this missing and these trials, we have a new and a better story. I'm glad that the Apostle John sets our eyes and our hearts, not on a better teacher or more information, but on the King of Kings, the true revelation of God himself, the word of God, Jesus, his son. And I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't leave us alone, but shines light on our hearts and offers his mercy, moves toward us in our trials, and gives us the opportunity to move toward one another. So until we can meet again in the flesh, and I'm not required to preach to one person in the front row whose name says Canon right above the lens, until we can meet again, nothing is canceled. God's love and goodness and mercy is not canceled. God's grace and God's word is not canceled. I miss you guys a ton, but nothing is canceled. Instead, 
Let us go out and creatively engage the gospel in the lives of our friends, families, and our neighbors. As Jesus has moved toward us, let us move toward those around us who right now need to hear a true and better word. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word to us. Jesus, you are all in all. You are the great I am. You are Yahweh. You are the one who makes and keeps his promises. You are faithful. You are a father to the fatherless, a help to the lowly. You are the one who moves toward. What a great God we serve. So we can have pure joy amidst these trials. Because we don't have to dig deep within to some inner light to find strength. And we don't have to go to some religion out there that says, you know, if you would just try harder or do better or be enough, I would love you. No, Lord, you have promised us that we can do none of those things on our own. And the power of your promise is that in knowing that you have come down from heaven, taken on flesh, moved toward us, opened your arms and spoken a better word. God's final word to us, yes and amen in Jesus' son. So be with us now, Lord, as we come to your table. Be with us now as we come to this time of feasting on your promises through bread and wine. Lord, we trust you and we love you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.